Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. My guest today is Mike Schwebel. Mike has spent the better part of his life as a competitive swimmer or as a swim coach. This episode is just in time for the fast approaching summer swim season. Mike, welcome to the coaching call. How are you today? Doing great. Really appreciate the time, Raphael. I've uh, always been a, been a fan of the show. I what I like about it most is that you really get into what the coach's background is and learn about what, what led them to where they are today, which was always which is always something I love to, to hear and learn about. It was my favorite part of college was always hearing people come back, and especially in business school. Mm-hmm. We would have these CEOs come back, and uh, they'd tell us their trials and tribulations and what led them to where they are and right. the different decisions and stuff like that. So I, I always enjoyed that form of learning. So I do appreciate your podcast and what you're doing for a lot of people looking to break into coaching and certainly that they can a lot of people that can give back what they've what they've done over the last course of their career. So thank oh, I, you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. So let's get into it. Let's find out about yeah. you, right? So sure, sure. You you've been I guess in the water, right? For so long, that's true, and not in, in bad waters, in good waters, right? <laughs> hot um, water, hot water, sometimes. Hot, sometimes hot water. So when we think about swimming, everybody has a different experience, and at one point, I'll tell you mine. It was it was um, a little bit traumatic, but it changed the you know the way I think about water, and, and we all start somewhere. So tell me what got you involved in swimming and what was your first time you went swimming you know i was lucky to be to be living next to a summer swim club in my hometown and it was known for having a lot a pretty big swim team even back in the early 80s which i would say maybe 100 people mm. and so they had a pretty strong 12 and under program where they had the eight and unders race against each other, the nine, 10 year olds, and then the 11 and 12 year olds. And a great coach that had been there since 1972 is actually still there today. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, she's been there for a very long time. She started the program when she was, you know, right out of school. And uh, hopefully she, she still has it in her to keep going for another couple of years at least. Mm. Uh, but yeah, she's been there almost, geez, 50 years probably. So 50 years next year, I think. That's incredible. So, but when I when I was when I got there, I was about six years old. Didn't have any experience. Just liked the water. And uh, what she was really good about doing is making the competition friendly. Mm. And it was summer league. Of course, the idea was fun. Uh, the idea was to bring people into the sport, kind of create the camaraderie that would be a lasting friendship and and also a healthy competitive spirit because teams are always better when they're faster. So she really fostered that with us, and it was something that a group of uh, my friends and I got into and took it from there in the summer leagues into the year-round, which at the time was mainly done at the Ys in the 80s. So uh, I ended up going to the Y in town, and a lot of my friends did, and that's really what kept kept us into it. But uh, I was probably six years old, my first real experience with swimming competitively. 
Oh my gosh, so, six, that's so young yeah, in a way. Well, yeah. yes and no, right? It is. It is. I mean, you, 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 you learn it when you, it's easier to learn it, I guess, when you're that age and, and have it, you know, stick with you. But certainly there's a lot of people that miss that opportunity and still don't know how to swim as adults. And those people need to learn how to swim. And I, we, I do that as well. So right, uh, right. I've been fortunate to work with a lot of different ages. You know, it's it's funny that you say that because the other day uh, my girlfriend was rewatching The Big Bang Theory, and oh, yeah. if, if you've seen The Big Bang Great Theory, show. I mean it's 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 hilarious. And Sheldon is learning how to swim on land, so he's doing the floor thing, and it was just so funny. And and one of his reasoning is where the ice caps are melting, and and we it's going to be more water, so everybody should need to swim, right? That's but it, you know, too too funny. But w- when you think about swimming, or at least being able to do the doggy paddle or anything, mm-hmm. it, it requires the, the fact that you never know a, a situation can easily come up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could fall off a boat, and it's happened this year. I, I hear about it in the news. You know, even celebrities. Uh, you know, last year, a girl in California, you know, out boating with her child and fell off and was able to save her child, but drowned right in front of them. Mm. Uh, yeah, if you don't at least become comfortable with currents, you're really, there's not much of a match. I mean, I, I, even a swimmer like myself wouldn't swim in currents that when they're rough in the Jersey Shore over the summer if there's a hurricane coming by. I mean, you're not going to win. It's one of those things where you can get caught in a riptide and next thing you know, you're, you're just fighting against it and uh, <laughs> you lose your energy. You lose the battle, essentially. So, it's scary. Uh, you can get carried out. Uh, you do. You whether do. you're in a you know kayak, a device of some sort, or anything like that, you got to be careful. Even if you're not in water or on a boat, let's say you're going over a bridge and something happens. I, I mean, hey, you know, we do live in a crazy world, don't we? No, that's true. I thankfully haven't had to worry about that, but I've been using right. that imminent <laughs> doom to kind of sell some lessons for right. many, many years. That was. Really, my real entree into coaching was doing the private swim lessons at that same pool that I was talking about. Mm. Uh, when I got to be in college, I, I came back over the summers of being a Division One swimmer mm. uh, and was able to offer a different niche of, of coaching to the to the area uh, through you know private swim lessons. I was looking for young people. I was actually actively recruiting for the swim team I was coaching. I wanted to you know, really instill what my coach did for me and, and create a nice. n- environment. Of, so I really was actively going around the pool, uh, not just teaching kids to be safe around water. I was turning them into competitive swimmers. And uh, it seemed to really take on uh, a life of its own. And before you knew it, I was completely booked. Really? And so I knew then <laughs> and there. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, one of those things where before I got there, it was kind of left to the lifeguards. Mm. to do it for a couple hours a week in their free time. And uh, and that served a great purpose for water safety and teaching kids and getting them comfortable. And it was really playful. And I think it did a great deal. And, and, and that set of lessons is, is still around. Right, right. But when I came in, I was able to teach the swim team kids. And I was also able to teach the kids that didn't know how to swim. When I was able to go up to people, approach them, and the assistant swim coaches coming up and asking me to be part of the, you know, it would it would be a lot easier to, to ask someone to try something when uh, they see me working with the fastest kids in the pool, and their their kid doesn't know how to swim. So yeah. uh, that market that market really opened up nicely. It was something that uh, was very successful and ultimately led to my first full time head coaching job. Very good memory. You would say that that just your love for what you were doing and to pass it on is basically what forged your career, right? You know, uh, I, I, I had, I was very comfortable teaching, you know, I, I realized, I mean, it might've been more of a, uh, financially motivated thing in college mm-hmm. to, to try and do the private lessons, but seeing these kids, I mean, being able to go up behind the blocks and pump up a little eight year old right. and get them all psyched up and watch them break a team record. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just unbelievable to me to watch these kids do these unbelievable things who were just swimming for six weeks and making tr- incredible improvements that kind of transform me into the love of seeing that progress and uh, helping that along and, and ultimately being responsible for it in a lot of ways, bringing the person into the sport and seeing that. But I was also given a lot of good raw talent. I mean, 
in the 90s, I was given some kids that ended up becoming record holders in our town at, at the high school. Oh, wow. Uh, and I had them as, you know, eight, 10 year olds. And they were in that group of, of, of competitive swimmers I was coaching when I was in college. And of course, when you're seeing the kids every week for all summer, kind of run out of material. And I always ended up doing a lot of the things that we were practicing at Miami University in, in Ohio, some of the drills, a lot of the sets and bringing some of the college types type of training <laughs> to the to the local community pool. And parents really seemed to like it. And certainly the kids liked it. So uh, that was a natural thing that I always wanted to kind of continue. I wasn't sure how I was going to do it being in business school and not being a teacher, mm-hmm. but it was always in the back of my head that I wanted to be a coach in some regard, in some capacity, voluntarily or for money. Or, But I, uh, it was something I definitely didn't want to give up after the experience I had in college with the summer club and the summer swim teams and stuff. And you were involved in several state championships, right? You won, you won a lot of those things as well? So that was, you know, more recently. Uh, interestingly, when I stopped coaching my in college, the group that was six years old, my last swim team over the summer that I coached in 2000, I guess it was 1999, they were only six. And by the time they were seniors in high school, this is 2010 or 11, I guess, the co- there was an opportunity that really presented itself and in my town to be part of the high school program. And it was so, you know, random that the opportunity even came my way that ended up happening. It's really unbelievable. Uh, but those kids were seniors that year and had some re- remembered my name. And uh, fortunately, my seventh grade English teacher was the person who was doing human resources for the town now at the high school. And I had a, the athletic trainer had known me from, or the athletic director had known me from when she was an athletic trainer 20 years before that in high school. Mm. The, these, these nine moons aligned and I ended up becoming the assistant coach for the high school swim team that year, mainly because they were supposed to be an extraordinarily good team. And there was a lot of pressure to win the state title for the first time in a while on both sides. Supposedly, the incoming class that year was going to be one of the fastest ever, and they ended up being the fastest ever for, on the girls' side. Uh, they were truly unbelievable. And I don't think a lot of people that are looking for that casual coaching experience at the high school who were teachers necessarily wanted to sign up for that sort of hoopla that was about to ensue. So I was able to, you know, being, it sounded like the greatest idea in the world to me, mm-hmm. uh, being a front row seat to these kids that I knew when they were kids, you know, six years old, watching them win a the state title uh, against the, the best teams in the state. It just, even though I was supposed to be focusing on, on, on work, it just seemed like too much of an opportunity to pass. And I happened to be working at home as well out of my house and the practices were from one thirty to three thirty every day or two to four every day. So I could actually make it. Yeah. Right. Uh, but people thought I was crazy. Uh, people really thought I was crazy, uh, particularly my parents, you know, they, they said, shouldn't you be focusing on your career? Why are you going to, in the middle of the day, you're not even a teacher. Like, you know, and, and <laughs> there were people talking me out of it and couldn't believe I wanted to do this. And I, I look back and I, I don't know where that came from. Just that, that I, knew that it was going to be an unbelievable experience. And for eight years, it ended up being an unbelievable experience. We won a total of seven state titles between the boys and the girls, uh, countless parties, countless celebrations, nice. um, visit, visits to the state legis- you know, state governor's house and meeting senators and being presented stuff from the town of Westfield. And it's all online, but, you know, great memories. And I, I couldn't imagine if I didn't get intercept that one call that was supposed to go to my sister oh really <laughs> uh, yeah I kind tell, of us stole her opportunity. tell us about that tell us about that she 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 they, so i guess it was uh, a holiday it must have been labor day weekend back in 2010 and i happened to be living in fort lauderdale still at the time and i was up visiting for the summer we had a dog and I, there was no one able to watch him all my parents my sister everybody in town was gone doing something for the holiday weekend and I was up there with my dog and happened to be passing through my parents' house where I was staying uh, when the phone rang. And I never pick it up, but I happened to pick up that call. And they asked for my sister, who hadn't lived there in years. Mm. And uh, I, I said, who is this? And they said, it's Westfield High School. And uh, we're happy, just wanted to see if your sister was available to be a potential swim coach this year. 
And uh, I thought it was kind of strange. I was living in Florida. Uh, I knew that she couldn't do it because of her job or her commitment with being a special ed teacher up in Morristown. That, uh, but it sat with me for a couple of days. And uh, I called back and I asked, I said, I mean, you know, my sister's not available, but, you know, I, I've pretty much taught her everything I know. And uh, she certainly followed in my footsteps with regard to the private lessons. And so I, I, I think I could do what's required is really what I asked. Uh-huh. And uh, it seemed that besides, you know, having the endorsement of the school board, all I needed was to be an assistant uh, or a substitute teacher. Underway with getting my background checks and became a substitute teacher and really pleaded with the current coach, who at the time was, you know, looking at also running 80 kids on his own, being the boys and girls coach, Mm -hmm. and was looking for some help there and knew that there was going to be a lot of pressure uh, with regard to expectations in the town. Just to give you a little background there, Westfield's got this long 90-year history of of swimming in, mm. in the high school. I mean, going back to the 30s when they were swimming down in Atlantic City and, and God knows what without goggles and, and cold water and who knows what the conditions were like. But in the 50s and 60s, Westfield became nationally known um, as a, the powerhouse because uh, of the swimming and uh, and the football, but and the swimming as well. And we had Olympians and we even hosted the YMCA Nationals in Westfield in 1965 when Mark Spitz came to town and swam there. And so there's a rich swimming history, and oh, they've yeah. won a lot of state titles, uh, 27 state titles to be exact. But mm. you know, knowing this program and, this, and, and, and that people wanted to see that kind of everybody would go back to the glory days, there was a lot of pressure on the program. And so I was able to get uh, hired there and get all my uh, certifications in by that November and. Uh, we were off in that year. The girls won the following year. The boys and the girls won the state title. And then 2013, the boys and the girls won again. Uh, so it was really an unprecedented run for the program and certainly fun to be part of uh, and a great memory. I couldn't imagine if I never got that phone call or if I let it ring, <laughs> that, that wouldn't have happened. Right, right. And, and also the fact that, you know, I really had to press pretty hard because, you know, when you're not a teacher and you're trying to get into a high school sport like that, mm. you've got to kind of justify, at least in a public school, why we're not using all the people that we have in the school already. Why right. do we need someone new? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's always a, um, a an uphill battle. And for someone that's not even a teacher, uh, it's even more uphill battle. So uh, I do feel very fortunate that that all happened the way it did. But the nine moons were aligned for sure. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you, know, you, you jumped all the hurdles to get into the pool. <laughs> that, that's it. That's it. And then I, then I got thrown in the pool when we won. Uh, I guess that's, that's a long-standing tradition. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've ever been picked up by a group of high school kids and tossed in a pool. Never. But uh, it certainly looked probably looked more fun than it was. But uh, that certainly happened more than once. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't have your cell phone with you, you're good. <laughs> That's right. You know, they let me take off my socks and shoes and my took out my wallet. So I got lucky. Oh, there you go. Uh, and thankfully, it was the diving tank. But there you go. These sort of celebrations, I guess, are part of it. Have you ever coached anyone who was initially afraid of getting in the pool, getting in the water? Absolutely. Because that that that's a, like a whole different ball game, especially to convince someone that it's gonna be safe. And then, you know, then I wanted to hear some funny stories because, oh, my God, mine is like funny and not funny, you know. Looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's hear yours. But but to answer your question, it is a level of comfortability that if you kind of miss that window as a kid, it gets worse and worse as time goes on, from what I can tell. Um, And that really is why water safety instruction by the Red Cross is such an integral part of the giving of lessons here in this, at least in in New Jersey. That too was a hurdle back in the day. I didn't have it and people were approaching me and I couldn't give the lessons. But the water safety instruction class is basically uh, designed to bring people more comfortability with the water. They have a number of ways, a number of drills, depending on the age of the person and and the comfort level. Uh, but the whole design is to allow them to be safe in the water and at least be able to have them do a dead man's float when all is said and done mm. so that, God forbid, they wouldn't uh, be in a situation if they fell in the water. But you're right. Some people, and it's funny, too, because you'll get some of these people that are huge, you know, huge football players and, you know, huge center of gravity, 300 pounds. They can lift, you know, bench press 400. 
uh, and they lose their center of gravity in the water and they're not comfortable with the water and they, you know, feel like they're slipping and they right, start right. flailing their arms and you don't want to save that guy because no. that guy will, <laughs> you know, <laughs> drown you with them. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it really is one of those situations where it can be uh, not only bad for the person, but the people that are around and uh, you don't want anything. You don't want to have to witness anything like that, I'm sure. So, right. But water safety instruction, I've been forced to take it several times. I was forced to take it before I could give lessons at the Memorial Pool over the, the summer club. Uh, and then I was forced to take it again by the state of New Jersey for getting the high school swimming job they uh, wanted someone on the staff everybody on the and every they made a, i think that was a rule that was made in 2010 or 11 where they decided that every there must because a lot of the high school programs aren't like westfield they are learned to swim programs you're mm-hmm. bringing an elements into the pool of people that you're going to be teaching how to do freestyle and that's all they're going to be doing there's an element of water safety instruction in a lot of high school swimming programs all over the state not all of them are like westfield where you have people trying out and in some cases getting cut because uh, they don't have the swimming ability and we don't have the pool time or didn't have the pool time uh, to have people that weren't able to keep up with everybody else. So right. um, you have to have those concerns. To, the more Linder swim programs, you have concerns about water safety issues. And the other concern is that you have to do the worst things in coaching, which is cut somebody who's in high school who could potentially be a great swimmer in, an, in another school. Yeah. Right. Just because yeah. they came to a program where there's state champions all over, you know, state championships. And it makes it hard for people that want to get into the program at that age, which some years it's not. Some years there is a lot of room for those type of summers. But those years when I was coaching, there wasn't much. And I do remember making cuts, which is one of the worst things you have to do as a coach. Oh, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I can only understand that. Tell me like a funny story that, that you've encountered which I'm, I'm sure you've encountered a thousand of them, maybe even hundreds of them, because w- when it comes to pools and water and safety, that there's so many different variables that can definitely happen. You know, besides being picked up after the winning the state titles and tossed in the pool, which is probably, like I said, probably funny for people watching, but uh, in coaching, I would say just the pleasure of working with the younger kids. They're They're, they're so... Uh, raw with their, you know, the, the, the attitude and the things that they say. So I would have to take it back to the 90s when I was coaching as a college kid. And mm-hmm. I had these eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds, six-year-olds that literally were brand new and, and learning how to swim. And some of them were very, had a tremendous amount of talent as young kids and a tremendous amount of strength. And just a lot of, you know, a lot of fun harnessing those talents. I mean, I don't, I wish I had a specific incident for you, but, you know, you can imagine what it's like to be working with someone for six weeks and on, on, on one event they want to break the team record and then watching that happen in front of their family at the, at the end of the summer. It's, it's really like an emotional and, and fun thing that draws you into coaching. And there's, there are some things that I guess I could talk about with regard to the coach that I was talking about who taught me how to swim at the local summer club, uh, she, we used to do these end of summer cheers. And at the end of the, at the end of the uh, swim meet over the summer, you'd do a cheer for the other team. And there was a couple cheers that ended, ended up getting banned due to kids changing the words and stuff. And mm. uh, yeah. as you can imagine, you know, so oh, yeah. there was this one, <laughs> there was this one cheer. And well, I remember her getting real, mad and you know almost to the point where she banned the cheer essentially because the kids were changing the word at the end Mm -hmm. uh you know i think it was they were supposed to say who do we think is a mighty fine herd okay Mm. and they were saying who do you think is a mighty fine turd Uh and uh you know as a kid you're you're working with kids you know you can't have this sort of thing we've got to teach sportsmanship and you know even though it's funny and immature and what kids want over the summer of course uh it was something that was a learning point and uh we had a even addressed it when i was when i was assistant coach for her there's been a lot of things like that when you're working with kids that mm-hmm. you kind of got to police, but also laugh at sometimes. There's just nothing you can do. Uh, yeah. uh, and that just makes it fun, especially in the summer leagues. Yeah. So when you get new people and people that are new to the sport, um, there's a no, more serious tone on the aquatic level and the YMCA level. But um, certainly in the summer, there's a lot of room for fun. So oh, absolutely. Uh, a lot of fun was had. You know, I was very excited to be talking to you today because my experience with the water has been a little 
odd, I would say. My first experience, I was never in the water till I was about eight and a half or so. And of course, I'm afraid of it. And one of my sisters decided to just, not only did she throw me in the water, she jumped in and then she goes, try to swim. I couldn't swim. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So she pushes my head down. And now I'm struggling to get up and get some air. And I was wow. so traumatized it was and i would like she's stay away to, from water for years she's trying to kill me but here's the thing right <clears throat> what what i said is like i'm not gonna let that even though she pushed my head down i'm not gonna let that keep me down so i kind of cried a little bit i went to the edge and i started you know holding on and just kicking my feet because then i had other siblings there i'm one of ten and oh, wow. I was actually one okay. of 12, but two died That's young. That's a full swim team right there. Right, exactly. So what wound up happening is one of my other siblings said, hey, you know what, just go to the edge and, and start learning how to keep yourself up with your feet. So I did that eventually. I started learning how to do the crawl. Yeah. By the time I was 10, I was outside with a bunch of friends, and they said there's a community pool, but they close. I think in the summer it was early, like 6 o'clock, and it was like 7, 8 o'clock. Right. They're like, all we have to do is jump the fence. And so every oh, night, every Great night, idea. all of us, I know, not the healthiest thing or the smartest <laughs> thing, especially a bunch of kids, right? Around eight, nine, ten. Right. Jumping in. And we all had the best of times. Thank God nobody got hurt. But we did that That's every, right. for the summers, we did that every single day. And so yep. what wound up happening is when I got to high school, I said, oh, there's a swim team. There's this and this swimming class. Boom, I went to it. And my coaches were phenomenal. One of my coaches, I had a male and a female coach. It depended when you went, right? And the male coach one time would say, okay, if everybody, this was a class. He goes, if everybody goes in the pool, even if you touch it with your toe, you get an F. So everybody's like, whoop, back, wow. everybody backed up. So he goes, when I blow the whistle, everybody jump in. And this was at 7.30 in the morning, and it was winter. Oh, so wow. Nice we expected, cold for you. Yeah, but we expected a cold. Every time he says, don't go walking and dive in and, and start swimming. And we did that every day. You know, I was there every morning. That's and, the way to do it. That's it, the way that we oh, got yeah. in in high school. Oh, too. yeah. So then, but he, he said no. And then he goes, when I blow the whistle, you can all jump in. We jumped in. That pool was like a sauna. He so heated it yeah. up overnight, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, but now... He said, okay, you're going to swim the same laps, everything that you've been doing. And then it was such a different experience because now the water's hot, you know, compared to what yep. we used to jump in cold. So that was one experience. And the other one is he used to make us uh, carry bricks and sit at the bottom of the pool. Oh, that's a good one. And yeah, it was trying great. to get them, bring them up off the bottom. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that takes a lot of uh, effort and uh, energy. And plus, you got to be comfortable with going down deep underwater, which oh, nobody's yeah. really comfortable doing. And, you know, our pool was, um, I think, from five, it went to uh, 12 feet or something like that because it was deep, right? And so he would make us go first. When you first got with the bricks, start at the five and then later on sit down and see how long you can actually sit at the bottom. And he would time us. Underwater. You know? yeah, yeah, underwater. It was the coolest the uh, I forget what they call that kind of training, but now there's it's a lot of questions as to whether it works or not. You know, if, if you can build up tolerance by practicing holding your breath, it's debatable. A lot of coaches don't believe that it, it, it can happen. And a lot of them do, and a lot of them practice it. But yeah, I mean, um, I, th you know, I think it, it, it changed me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mind game because you think you're going to die. And then you, all of a sudden you can do 30 seconds without feeling you, you relax. You end up oh, relaxing yeah, and you do. Some people, I think the world record, right? And well, yeah, nobody wants to try it, but the world record for Guinness, I think, is like five minutes. I know. The person went under. It, that's crazy. And my, it, it, you, you can't, I mean, you, you wouldn't want to try that, but certainly being comfortable enough to not need air and not breathe in or breathe out is a level that, that, you'd, that you'd want to get anybody comfortable enough to do, especially on the swim team. Right. Um, but... You know, it's funny that you said that. Was that pool in the New York City area? It was actually Jamaica High School in Jamaica, Queens. Okay. Yeah, no, there's a lot, a lot of the older pools in this area. And there's one in Westfield. 
they used to be 20 feet or 20 yards long and they were heated with a, with like almost like an oven, like underneath, like a big, like furnace (laughs) underneath the pool and you'd hear it and it would be clanking away and, but it would make that pool hot. And uh, a lot of these pools were underground. I don't know if you noticed, but there probably wasn't many windows in your pool. No, Uh, I don't, because a lot of, and I'll tell you why I found this out when we went up to the university of Michigan, because they have a, still have a men's, this is in the 90s they probably don't anymore but the pool there they had a still had a men's swimming program and back in the 20s and 30s men used to have their swimming hour just for men because they would swim naked there wasn't suits oh really and no, there I was didn't no do that. windows <laughs> that's why there's no <laughs> windows in the pools that were built back then because they didn't want people looking in to see in the men's swimming hour uh by accident they're usually dug deep into the ground too but that would be questionable like for me <laughs> i would yeah not. no I'm like, everybody's would, swimming naked I'm, okay i'm gonna go play pool yeah, actual on a, on a felt they, top <laughs> they, they the development of swimsuits really really advanced the sport let me tell you it I'd made agree. them a lot more right. comfortable for people but Absolutely. <laughs> uh you know this is probably 1996 and i went to university of michigan and uh they had like you know, two or three pools. This was, they still had a men's swim going on at noon in the nineties. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> five or six guys would do like they had been doing for the last 30 years or whatever, but right, right. uh thing of the past, but that's why these pools, they're all 20 yards deep in the ground, yeah. odd number lanes uh, with a big, you know, kind of furnace underneath the thing, heating it. Yeah. Uh, you know, those didn't change probably till the fifties or sixties. Right, right. But a lot of the old records from those days are in the 20 yard versus 25 yards. So. Right, right. You know, it's uh, the the other thing that you mentioned before when you talked about rib tides and storms and so all, all that stuff. I was actually at Jones Beach in New York with my friends. And when mm. the, the currents are really strong, you start at one end, you know, like by where your towel is. 20 minutes later, you're 300 <laughs> feet away. Uh, you know, like, where is, oh my God, it's all the way over there. So this particular right. day, it was, the water really went back in. So we were able to go out almost like 30 yards and it was by our ankles. But normally it would have been, you know, above our head at that point. So the waves would come and, you know, we'd jump and the whole deal. And I'm talking to two of my friends and I have my back to the water because, you know, it was by my ankles. And both of them just turned around because we were all just having a, a deep conversation. I was, I was already swimming and everything. And I was a decent swimmer. And one, at one minute, my friend LeBron turns around and he goes, oh, my God. And all I heard was, oh, my God. And whack, I got hit. The wave was taller than me. I'm one. The wave was higher than me. <laughs> yeah. It knocked me down. And, and I was like, I was tumbling. And then I, I try to get up and I thought, oh, maybe I'll run. I was not too bright at that point. Maybe I'll start running and bam, I get hit again. And bam, I get, and it kept happening. And, ha- and I'm like, oh my God, this is never ending. And then, so yeah, I get out, dangerous. I'm like half a mile away from where we were by the time I got out. Oh, geez. And they're like looking for me and they couldn't find me. And I come out, I got blood all over my face. My chest is all scratched oh, up from wow. the sand. And then I finally catch him up and I'm with them. And we didn't have our parents with us. It was just us. It, it was it was pretty crazy because it was like one minute you're having a conversation. The next minute you're fighting for your life. And, That's it. You know, you, know, you don't want to mess with the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. It's and, and one of the things that you know, when you talk about safety is never take anything for granted when it comes to water. True. I mean, look at all the different accidents that people have on diving boards, running near, Just, you know, uh, a pool. It, it's, and I've seen them all. I've fallen when I was a kid because I ran. Yeah. And it's so even, dangerous. Even, even in personal pools. You know, oh, yeah. the, the, yeah. the, the, you know, little children falling in by accident, dogs, pets falling in. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's awful. Uh, you, you really gotta, when you have a pool, you gotta really manage it you know, so that, safe and these things don't happen because you just don't want to be in that position you hear celebrities that's happened to oh yeah and kids i mean that is when when we talk about safety when i had my pool i actually decided to get a a sports pool so uh, my pool was was very big it it was actually i don't know what you call it but it was the the one where the water moves no no it wasn't that type of pool that would have been cool it was actually it was a big pool it was an l shape so the long ways of the l was 40 feet long 
and then the other okay. the uh, the l the smaller part of the l was 32 feet so it was oh, cool. but it so i made it so we can play volleyball and we can just i can still do my laps i can do swimming and one of the things that there you go in order with all the codes and everything you you needed to have a a fence of course a six foot fence not four feet doesn't even cover it so it had to be six foot right and then because i had a child I said, I'm going to put the, you know, the, even the safety fence aside. So I spend all the money. When right, I, right at the edge of the pool. Yeah. So when yeah. my my kid got older, I still would put it up. And even though he's like, oh, I yeah. know how to swim. I'm like, yeah, yeah I don't care. <laughs> you might be sleepwalking. It doesn't matter. And then you never know. Kids like myself would jump over the fence and swim in your pool. So that's not cool either. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. You so, got to keep the pool hoppers out. No, it's true for sure. I mean, it's that that I've you know been around my whole life doing those two the two separate courses of WSI they kind of scare you into knowing what could happen mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're I'm certainly aware of that and certainly worked with plenty of kids who are scared of the water and had to make them comfortable and it's not an easy job but it's certainly possible and yeah. it's much easier when you're younger I think so right, right. Uh, the, the sooner the better as far as getting kids more comfortable with the water. Um, I have a situation with my younger niece where she's too comfortable with the water. Mm. We were up at the same pool I was talking about this was two summers ago, and she doesn't know how to swim. And I wasn't even taking my flip-flops and my shirt off, and she already jumped in the pool. Mm. No fear. Doesn't know how to swim. She's sitting at the bottom of the pool smiling. And I had to jump in, you know, and grab her and pull <laughs> her up to the surface, and she's laughing. And uh, I just couldn't believe that someone who wouldn't know how to swim would just do that. Mm. Uh, but she did it. And, you know, a three-year-old uh, loves the pool. Now she knows how to swim. But, uh, you know, it really scared me to see that, uh, you know, how to fly. I wasn't ready to get in that quickly, to be honest with you. I was going <laughs> to ease my way in. <laughs> you know, you know, so. Mike, it, it, it just brought up a really crazy memory for me because I, was, I became a junior lifeguard. And even before that, a, fr- a friend of mine, I-, I think we might have been like 12 years old, we were by the, by the lake and we saw uh, in Flushing Meadow and we saw like a, an abandoned canoe. And we're like, oh, that's oh, just wow. cool. So him and I jumped in and his little sister wants to come on. I'm like, yeah, get on. So I start rowing. I would say we're about 25, 25 yards out. And the little sister gets scared and she jumps off and I'm like, and you don't see her. And he, he doesn't know how to swim. He jumps after her. Um, And here I am. I'm like, Oh no. So I jump in. So I'm getting both of them, put him over the boat. Here's the worst part. I took about 12 showers and I could not get that stench out because the water was so rotten and polluted it was horrible before they started the cleanup effort yeah yeah what ended up happening i mean think about the fact that this little girl didn't know how to swim right and then you get someone who doesn't know how just because he loves his sister he jumps in himself so now here i have to jump in and i'm only 12 years old myself and somehow Mm. i was lucky that the three of us didn't die that I was able to get You're them very right. uh, very lucky. And, you know, you hear yeah, all these no, horrible stories where somebody tries to save someone and either they both die yeah. or the person saving them dies. So, That's you know, I, I don't want with this the person drowning. Oh, my God. Well, the person drowning could punch the person and knock them out. It's happened. That's how usually the person's flailing their arms and they try and grab them and they get punched in the head. And yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, it's, it's, it, it can get ugly really quickly, like you said, with that. And people don't, when they're in that situation, don't think properly. Like you said, there's their first reaction, just jump in and save. Not, I don't know how to swim. Maybe I should get a device and throw it to them. Or, <laughs> that would help. Uh, you're not thinking rationally. So uh, you, you certainly don't want, and, and, and that's the whole point, I think, uh, with with a lot of these summer pools is to make sure they're staffed. You got a couple hundred kids in the pool at one time, so you know things can happen. And, but I know the insurance is a lot different at the pools now they've taken out a lot of the diving boards they've mm-hmm. put in the uh the slides i guess with the full tube slides that i guess are less more, less dangerous than driving off a 10-foot board into a mm-hmm. huge pool and they don't allow a lot of things they used to allow when i was a kid in the 80s no, uh, no. to go on so i think we're both lucky there 
Oh, yeah. uh, the things that there's been a lot of improvements in the sport and a big push too by a lot of Olympians to get people in at least and a lot of where these used to happen was in a lot of uh, urban places and inner city places where there wasn't the, the life or the access to the, the swim lessons at a young age. So right. uh, there's a lot of learn to swim programs and initiatives there now uh, that, that, are, that are taking place. It's great to see. Right. I mean, so, remember uh, Greg Luganis when, when he did that dive and he yeah. banged his head? I mean, yeah. this is, guy is a professional. He was amazing as well. And there he goes he and was. he gets hurt. That was, that was I mean, tough. And then he got up and got a gold medal after that. I think yeah. he dove after that, didn't he? He got stitches in his head, and he he's got an amazing story. Oh, he's a warrior. I remember talk about talk about one of those people that came back, or that you were in college, and they come back to tell you about their life. Mm. He had just put out a book, I guess, in the nineties, uh, which ended up becoming a movie, uh, which is worth seeing if you haven't seen it. No, I haven't. But that book that led into the movie he was promoting, and he came to our, he came to Miami and talked about his life and he's had an interesting really interesting life and story and painful to listen to a, a lot of points of it mm-hmm. and but uh certainly worth listening to as far as learning from it and uh, just a good and you know turn and turn it, took, it got a great ending so but that was a big part of it and that's standing up in the face of and, and of getting your head knocked yeah. and then having to either <laughs> you know bow out of the olympics that was his choice bow out of the olympics or do this dive and and and, and he went ahead and did it and nailed it and, and mm-hmm. won. So mm-hmm. uh, you love to see this, especially in the Olympics. What a, what, a, what a great stage to do. Overcoming adversity. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's it. So a lot of great Olympic stories. So, so Mike, like I said, I was obviously, I'm excited to talk to you because, you know, my history with water has been an up and down kind of thing. And I, I love swimming. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's 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 amazing. But there are so many things that we can do. And that's what one of the things that talking to you made me think about. Because I went to a university and, and a friend of mine asked me to go in, in New Jersey. Actually, I forget which one. And it was an Olympic pool. It was beautiful. I'm Probably fit Princeton or Rutgers. Uh, yeah, it could have been. And, you know, I'm fit, you know, and everything. And she smoked me. I mean... Smoked. I was like, I did one lap. She did four. I'm like, are you kidding me? And yeah, and uh, let's talk about that because it really was the breath. That it didn't matter. You know, I can outrun her, but in the pool, man, she she made me look like like a a fish out of water. (laughs) I couldn't move. Oh, I know the feeling. Believe me, there's always someone faster. There always is. But you know. There, there's. I mean, take a look at what Katie Ledecky is doing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that name, but no. she's essentially beating the best in the world by, you know, ten plus seconds. It's mm. unbelievable, and she got that way by by beating up on the boys. You mm. know, she was training with the boys as a young kid and didn't feel there was any reason why she shouldn't be doing what they're doing, and then proceeded to do it. Uh, and that's how she's who she is. She's even more impressive than Michael Phelps mm. uh, with regard to how dominant she is. But mm-hmm. uh, take someone like that. She specializes in the distance events, the mile. Uh, her, I mean, she's anything over eight laps, she's pretty much one of the best in the world. Mm. Uh, and and as I'm sure as you probably just the same way with martial arts. There's a state level, there's the national level, and then there's the world level, which is, you know, a select few. And in swimming, there's only one. Mm. Uh, there's only one world record holder. So, uh, and she happens to be that person, and no one's even near her. Uh, so I think they're finally starting to catch up, but she's been dominant for almost a decade. Right. So let, let's talk about what makes it that. It it's definitely has to be the breath. It's body mechanics, right? So It is. You know, let, let's say I'm an okay swimmer, which, uh, to be honest with you, if you saw me, you'd probably say, oh, my God, he's like a kindergartner. <laughs> <laughs> but but so let's I can say, make some improvements. There, that's what I want to hear. So, what? How would you assess me as as a swimmer, and what can I take away from it? Sure. You know, I mean, first off, there's so much great stuff on online. I mean, I follow Swim Swam News, which is a great platform for technique and, and videos that you can literally see 
what what the best way to do it, what the fastest way to do it, what the most technique, the best technique is. And in swimming, that's the fastest and it's the least resistance. Mm-hmm. The whole thing about is minimizing the resistance and improving the power on the power phase. And those are the two things you can tweak. And you can make the power phase longer and the short, the, the, the recovery quicker. Uh, and, and that's ultimately what, what I have done over the years with kids is lengthened out their stroke, made it more smooth, less, a lot of people have trouble slapping the water and trapping air when they're starting out to swim because they don't feel their hands breaking the surface of the water. Mm. And when you're pulling air, it's not as dense as pulling straight water. So you're not going to go as fast. You're going to flail. You're going to waste a lot of energy. It's kind of like throwing a lot of light punches versus having one solid good right. punch. I would, you really want to do it properly so that it's most effective. The idea is to do as few strokes as possible. So for someone like you, I would say one lap, count when you're when you're not so tired, count your strokes in the lap, and then constantly try and reduce it by one. What do you have to do? You have to push off a little further underwater. You got to tighten up that streamline a little bit longer. You got to take less breaths. You got to reach a little bit more at the finish. And all these things that you do to try and take less strokes per lap are ultimately going to get you to your best ability. You, you know, I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time and, and talking to me about a passion of mine, which is getting wet, right? Getting in there and, and soaking it up. But when you really think about everything that we do, especially when it comes to sports, it's that precision that we're looking for. It's that, that body mechanics. It, it's, it's the way you glide across the water, right? Because when, when you look at an amazing swimmer, you see they're gliding. It's, it's almost like they're floating. It really is. And, and it doesn't matter what, what stroke they're doing. I, I stink at the yeah. butterfly stroke. Man, it's beautiful to, to do. It's beautiful. I mean, when I see Michael Phelps do it, I'm like, God, I want to be able to do that too. But I mean, his yeah, no, his he, arm length is incredible. I think it's he's got the arm length of someone who's six five or six six, and I don't think he's that tall. I think no. he's maybe six three or six four. But right, right. Uh, he's that certainly helps. And then he's got a disproportionate lower body that right. doesn't create as much drag. And then he's got huge flippers for feet. So he's got paddles for hands, right, flippers right. for feet. <laughs> uh, so he's truly like uh, designed for the sport. But he's a fish. There, even, even even he could get beat. One of my biggest uh, mentors, I would say, not I don't know him personally, but someone who I kind of look up to in the sport, taught the guy who beat Michael Phelps in the 2016 Olympics. Was that the was that the kid that that got his there's a picture of him getting his autograph, right? He's getting his Michael's autograph when he was young, and then later on he beat him. Joseph Schooling. That's cool. As a young yeah, as he was ten year old, that's it. And uh, he, he was the coach. He's from Singapore. He won Singapore's uh, first gold medal mm. in the Olympics in 2000. And he and he got to beat Michael Phelps and beat Michael Phelps' record. So mm. uh, pretty impressive stuff for that kid. No. Uh, but it just goes to show you that even the best, you know, can have a bad day and there's always someone better and even it's just the nature of the sport. So it keeps people in it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the, the things that, that you have to admire about the dedication that goes into being an Olympian. And I mean, anybody, even in high school, the dedication that a, a, a swimmer has to put into in order to be able no, to compete. It is crazy. Yeah. I remember... It's around the clock. Oh, yeah. You know? I remember... You, know, you live it. You live it. Oh, yeah. In high school, I was not on the swimming team, but I used to... A lot of my friends were um, because I used to be on the gymnastics team. So I used to... And a handball team. Okay. And, and so I was... Uh, you know, I used to help the diving team and all that. So... You probably would have been very good at swimming. You were strong <laughs> enough to do gymnastics. Oh, yeah. I, I love that. Don't, <laughs> like I said, every morning at 7.30, I was in the pool. And I used to actually go in, they called it zero period, which was at seven, like a little before seven. And I used to help anybody who didn't know how to swim to teach them how to do the elementary backstroke. Because the elementary backstroke teaches someone who's never done it in five minutes, they're swimming. You know, they can go across the pool. That's it. So for me, that was so gratifying. And I didn't realize that I was impacting people's lives then. I was just doing it because I enjoyed it. Yeah. Sometimes when we're, we're helping someone 
we don't realize the impact we have. Because for someone just to learn the elementary backstroke, that can save their life, right? Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I mean, uh, and everybody needs to really, spend, I mean, it's really, I think, of the parent's responsibility to make sure their kids can swim for mm-hmm. their own safety and uh, at least can float or, like you said, do the elementary backstrokes an easy one to teach. Um, but ultimately, you want them to be able to do the rotary breathing and be able to, you know, hold their breath underwater mm-hmm. and some more advanced skills. But uh, some people just don't like the water. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a level of comfortability. Sounds like you do. I know I do. But uh, I've certainly encountered a lot of people that just were uncomfortable. Well, they were fine standing in the water. But once you took away their center of gravity and they were had to float, there was just this panic that would set in. And uh, I, I've seen it. Um, but you know, that all, uh, that can all be eliminated at an early age, I think. Right. There's been a lot of, um, uh, memes and, and cartoons and even shows where they show somebody, it looks like they're drowning and the other person says, just stand up and they stand up. It's at their waist height. <laughs> right. So it's yeah. when you think about when, when something is, is above you, you, you can be overwhelmed. Right. So when you're swimming in three foot of water, and you go under, yeah, you can be overwhelmed. All you have to do is stand up. You, you like, if you're five feet tall, you're good. <laughs> Even if you're three foot That's six, it. you're good. So it, it's that overwhelming feeling. And, and like I told you, I was terrified. I didn't want to, you know, until my sister actually threw me in. And, and, and it, I could have gone the other way and said, whoa, I'm never going in the pool. I'll always be a dry right. guy, right? That's I'll always be dry. Yeah, I'll always <laughs> be dry. But it, it's it's overcoming those little things, the, the fear. When you have fear, mm-hmm. it prevents you from doing so many things. I mean, look, oh, if you're afraid terrible. of asking a girl out or, or if you're afraid to asking mm-hmm. a guy out, depends on who you want to ask out, mm-hmm. you're not going to know. You won't know until you ask. And it's that rejection feeling that everybody feels. And that's why a lot of salespeople, until they overcome rejections and they understand how to handle them, (laughs) can't make a good sale, right? So it's, it's, we, we kind of auto reject ourselves when we're trying to do something and we keep rejecting and rejecting and rejecting until we say, wait a minute. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to move forward. And so what? So what if it doesn't happen? So what if there's a no at the end of this conversation? At least I tried. And you know what? If you ask, if you ask someone on a date a hundred times, they might either, a hundred and one, they're still going to say no, or they may get so, <laughs> so enamored by you that they'll say, all right, why not? You know? So it's that we have to go past our fears, right? That's true. I mean, it, 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 I think it's something that is a skill to kind of learn how to get past those fears and overcome them and not let them stop you and not let them prevent you from getting up in the morning. Or uh, It's certainly uh, being in sports is a, is a great way to overcome those kind of emotions, I think. You know, there's, yeah. you know, especially in swimming where you're, you're, you're working out nine months of the year for, what, 30 seconds in mm-hmm. at the end of March and... Uh, so, you know, there's pressures on and just a simple state of mind can really make all the difference in the world from your best meet to your worst meet. Uh, and I think the athletes that are thrown in those situations as kids have a way to kind of cope with it for when they get to be adults. And I certainly took a lot of those skills that I had developed in swimming and used them in what I'm doing right now, which is healthcare sales. And it's something that I think there's a, a just like, anything else a level of comfortability and uh certainly overcomable mm-hmm. you know, i wouldn't mind learning martial arts one day but i've been too scared to go up to the thing and uh oh, come on now give me, <laughs> so now here's my opportunity if i want to learn how to you know you know to go to like boxing or what would you what would you recommend for someone who's never been in you know martial arts or any sort of combat that wants to do it in my age you know not 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 necessarily for competition but just to learn and uh, what would you recommend? Great question. And, and, you know, the thing when you think about martial arts, a lot of people think, oh, it's for the little kids or I'm too old or this hurts or that hurts. 
But the thing is, you have to kind of think about what martial art you want to do. And you maybe have to, at this age, whatever age, it could be 20, it could be 30, it could be 40, it could be 50, 60, even 70 and 80, you have to say, what can I physically do? And let me, let me look around and even ask some of the, the, the instructors, what do you suggest? So what are you doing? And, you know, maybe I have a bad leg or I have this or I have that. You have to, first of all, inform them mm-hmm. and then find out if they can, they can take you as a student, right? And I recommend try it out first. Don't make a long-term mm-hmm. commitment. You know, say, hey, can I even try two weeks? I'll pay for two weeks, whatever it is, you know, $100, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me try mm-hmm. it. And then, you know, you have to see where, if they're actually in it to help you or in it to help mm-hmm. themselves. Because you don't want to train with anyone who's not interested in helping you. That's my first concern, right? So, and, and you're in New Jersey. I have friends in New Jersey. I can hook you up. So, and, okay. and you know what? We'll, we'll coordinate because here's the thing. We need to be able to, and it doesn't matter the style, but as long as you're doing a martial art, that's the key element. As long as, if somebody says, well, we're going to make sure that you do a full split, uh, that's not the place for you. You know, that's not the place right. for you. Because they're not listening to what I'm you're... Not that cons- flexible. <laughs> yeah, well, if, you know, here's the thing. You can tell them I'm not that flexible and they're going to turn around, oh, don't worry, we'll make you flexible. That's not right. why you're going. You're going for your benefits. Nah. And if they can listen to you, then they're the right place for you. And it doesn't matter the style, right? So a lot of people just like... What, what style do you reckon? What, what's your favorite style? What I do, I do Kung Fu. So, But there's so many great okay. styles. And I'm not going to say that style is bad or this style is bad. They're not. Every style of martial arts is amazing. The fact that don't get me wrong. If you go somewhere and the instructor doesn't look like he's in shape, I'm a little concerned. Probably not the best place to go. Because them, they're right? not practicing what they preach. Right. They may be a great instructor, but if they're not living the lifestyle, are they a warrior? So I want to train with warriors only, and I'm, you know, that's just me. That's how I feel. But right. If look, if I'm going to go to a dance coach and they don't know how to dance. They may be the wrong person exactly. for me, especially because, you know right. what, I'm, I'm, you know, I learn in all concepts. I learn, right? So I need to feel it. I need to see it. I need to hear it. Don't get me wrong. I can learn in any one of those. If you take the other two away, I'll still learn because I'm a sponge for learning. But you have to be able to go to someone who can teach you in all those aspects. There's those three aspects that you need to learn. And the same thing with any, any endeavor that you're going to go if you're going to look for a coach that's what they should be able to do for you you know see how you're doing guide you but it shouldn't be do it my way and then you go why and then just because i said so that's not the right coach either you know that's not the right instructor right do you recommend one-on-one or what i would recommend is try one-on-one you're going to be limited when you go with a group in the beginning one-on-one, maybe the first one or two lessons doesn't hurt, so you can understand and actually okay. have a conversation with them. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. And then what winds up happening, that, a group environment, the benefit of a group environment is that you're able to work with different body types. And a martial art is an engagement of your abilities. Right? So you need to be right. able to engage with someone who's smaller than you, someone similar size, someone who's sure. bigger than you, Female, male. So those are all important aspects when it comes to really getting the best training. Because if you only train with one person and you don't get to see what everybody else is doing, or maybe this one has a different take. And also because martial arts Very is limiting. not as 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 a lot of people say it's a single person sport. It is and it's not. Because if you want to learn how to do a throw, you can't do it by yourself. You need a person to throw. And you need to be able to understand how to fall if you're getting thrown. So at a at an age where you haven't done anything for a long time, maybe a throwing art may not be the best aspect. Sure. Because if you have injuries or anything sure. like that. But all arts, including judo, which is a throwing art, if they train you correctly, could be great. Okay. Good to know. I, I, that's something I'm going to be considering. I, 
I have been doing a 6 a.m. workout with a group in New Jersey that does, uh, you know, 6 to 7 a.m. pretty tough. So, but I want to use, I want to kind of use, I don't want to just sit there and keep working out. I kind of want to put it into play. Right. Uh, and Kung Fu might be uh, the answer. We'll see. Yeah. I'll have to hit you up and uh, see if you can point me in the right direction. Well, you know, I have friends in all styles. I have, I have friends in jiu-jitsu and karate and taekwondo and, okay. you know, different styles of martial arts as well. Like I said, sometimes it's convenient. You don't want to drive. I mean, you do sometimes. If, it's, if you know exactly what you want, you may want to drive like an hour, two hours. And you right. know, for me, that's, that's a no-brainer. But right. if it's... If it's just where you're getting into something, maybe something where you have to drive, not necessarily the closest place to you because that may not be the right choice. But if you have to make a commitment of 20 minutes, 30 minutes, that's not so so yeah. bad. If it's in Union County, if you have anybody there in Union go. County, let me know. All right. Definitely. You'll send me your yeah. address and we'll go from there and I'll talk to my friends. And any of my friends listening, we have a, a great potential student right here <laughs> who knows what dedication <laughs> Thank is. Thank you, Raphael. You know, because if you think about <laughs> That's it. right. Commitment. Commitment. How many people of fear have that fear of commitment? Why are people afraid of making a commitment? Because they don't know yeah. the outcome, right? That's what it is. If you think about it, if you That's can true. look 20 years ahead and really see what ha would happen if you made this commitment. Then you can have a clearer vision of, oh, there's no worries. But none of us know. So when you make a commitment, you, it's called trust, right? So think about commitment is trust. Yeah, true. It's a good, good way to look at that. You haven't, haven't looked at it like that. Oh, I look at everything in so many different ways. It's crazy. <laughs> I like that. When When... When you do look at commitment, it's trust. Not only are you going to trust that you're going to continue your commitment, but if you're making a commitment to something, that it will deliver what you're committing to, right? That's it. Yeah. That's it. So, Mike, when, so when, when, yeah, when no. are we going to see some of your guys being in the Olympics? Talk to me about that. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, you know, I have had people that have gone the division one route, which I'm very proud of. And, nice. uh, I think, you know, our town, it's really, I think we produce people that, uh, use it to necessarily to, as, to, as, a, as a sport to not necessarily do in college, but to get into college. Mm. Uh, it's, it's something that, uh, we, I see a lot of the kids from my high school going into programs, division one, and division three. So it really depends how much of a commitment as you were saying, what really you want to make in college. And if you want it to be more seasonal, you're better off going division three. And if you don't mind that it's around the clock and you want to mm -hmm. live it and eat it and breathe it, then division one might be what you're looking for. But we've produced both and I've, you know, our, our town's produced both. And so, um, it's, it's great to see when that happens because swimming in college is, is very exciting. Mm -hmm. I had a great, great experience doing it. Right, right. And, and I, I think when you, you make that, I mean, that's that's a, an amazing commitment to become an Olympian. Because when you think about it, yeah. you give up a lot, right? You give up a lot of that's hanging that. out all and you're doing. partying and all Years. that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and, but True. you make different types. Well, not if you're Ryan Lochte. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> but But you do make different types of friends, right? Because it's not going to be people who are trying to pull you down. It's people who are helping you elevate because everybody in your, in, in your, in your sphere of influence is either trying to accomplish the same thing you are. You're egging each other on and then your coaches are definitely pushing you. So it's a different realm of, of, of society and reality no, if you think I about it. Couldn't agree more. I was I was so excited to know that you said yes. Let's do this podcast because you know. Look, can you see my excitement? I'm so excited because when you think about the aspects of swimming, you know whether it's recreational or you're getting into competition, it's just water is so calming, but it can also be dangerous, right? So we got to remember that because yeah, you can you know people get in a sauna and it's calming and relaxing. But people have had accidents and saunas too. And a lot of people don't realize that a 14-year-old, anybody under 14, should not be in a sauna because it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to damage the reproductive system, right? So 
what winds up happening is a lot of people don't realize these things. And because they they may have a sauna or they may go to a sauna somewhere and they didn't understand the dangers that can happen with water and, and where you're stepping in. I was watching a show and somebody decided to, they said, hey, is the water good? They said, yeah, jump in. They meant jump in. The guy dove in and, and cracked his face open because mm. it was three feet high <laughs> and jumping in would have been different, right? So it's it's understanding where you're going and, and, and that that's part of the, the journey, bottom. right? Don't do it. Don't hit the bottom. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for today. It's It's been, for me, it's been so much My fun. My pleasure. I, it, it, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate this. And, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing your upcoming episodes. Let's keep in touch. Cool. I, I thank you so much for listening. I mean, isn't it interesting, all the different people that I, I get so lucky to talk to, just like yourself? It's, it's all about the good stories. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate how you get into it. and uh, Thanks again. I really appreciate it. And we'll be in touch soon, okay? Absolutely. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. You have an amazing day. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.